One Hope Church. Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you here this morning, ready to worship. Um, we've been worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, and just a great day to be here um, in Athens, Georgia. It's about 45, 46 degrees. Thankfully, the sun has been out at least uh, part of the time, but I was just thinking how grateful we should be this morning. You know, we had a day earlier this week was all rainy and colder than this. And so it could be like that this morning, but it's not. And it's just been really wonderful how many Sundays, um, you know, we've, we've been relatively unaffected um, by the weather since this pandemic has, you know, started and we needed to be meeting outside. It's been pretty, um, pretty incredible. And so just super thankful for that and the Lord's uh, grace towards us. Um, so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16 this morning, and we're going to continue you know, our study. We're just marching right through the book of Genesis. Again, that brings us sometimes to difficult passages and to uncomfortable things and things we don't maybe like to hear. Um, and so, you know, this isn't this is a little bit of, of that this morning. Um, definitely not the most difficult we'll face in in Genesis by any means, um, but it, it is um, a, a little bit bit difficult for us, especially uh, given what we know in terms of how God wants us to live, and you know what's what's right and and wrong. But we're going to learn a, a great lesson today of, you know, of, of faith of, you know, whether we're trying to solve, um, our problems in our own strength or whether we're going to trust God. And so that's really what it comes down to, um, you know, this, this morning and this passage. So let's go to the Lord of prayer and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. Heavenly father, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. We thank you for your love and grace in our lives. As we open up your word in Genesis chapter 16 this morning, please teach us by your Holy Spirit, encourage us, help us to, to learn um, from your grace and compassion and also to learn from the mistakes of others so we don't make them ourselves. And yet, Lord, we know we are prone to error. We have made, each of us have made many errors in our lives. And so we desire, Lord, to know more fully your ways and also ask God that you would give us the strength to live according to your ways um, and to your teaching that is given to us in the scripture that you have given to us. And so help us, we pray, and we thank you all, most of all, that you sent Jesus for us to pay the debt of sin that we could not pay. And it's in his precious and holy name we pray this morning and ask these things. Amen. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, says, Now Sarah, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Remember the promise God made to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to make you a, a great nation, you know, multitudes of people, more than the sands of the sea, uh, by the seashore, the stars in the sky. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar, so Sarah said to Abram, see, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. 
And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Um, we want to stop for a minute here. There's a few things for us to pay attention to. One is, you know, so there had been some time. God had called Abram. You know, there's been, there have been ten years. Um, there still isn't an heir. Remember that both Abraham and Sarah at this point in their lives are, you know, much older. And so, you know, hey, she, you know, Sarah's like, I, I'm past the child bearing age, you know, so we need to solve this problem a different way. Now, I want to remind us in the context, you see, as we read the scriptures, you know, you just open up your Bible and you just start reading Genesis chapter 16. You got to understand there's a, there's a context in the scripture. And we need to under, be reminded of where Abraham and Sarah came from. See, Abraham was in his father's house and his father worshiped idols. When God called Abraham and said, come, you know, leave your, your father's house, you know, leave all of that behind and come, you know, to a land that I will show you. And Abraham's great faith, he does that, right? Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness like we talked about last week. But you see, Abraham and Sarah still carry a culture with them. They still carry experiences with them before they, from before they met God. And that still impacts how they think, how they see the world, and how they make decisions. So what Sarah proposes here is not just out of the blue. It fits within the cultural context that they're coming from. This is how, in, in their world, a problem like this would be solved. This is how in their cultural context, a problem like this would be solved. Well, the babe, the servant, would be given as a second wife, and you would try that way to have an heir to solve the problem. And if Abraham, if she, you know, if Hagar has a son and Abraham says, you're my son, then problem solved. You see, it's not irrational. It's extremely rational. In their cultural context, apart from God and God's promise, it's the most rational decision to make. It's not irrational. It's a rational decision. The, the problem is, what did God say back in the beginning? Back in Genesis one and two. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and be, his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It didn't say the three, the four, the five, the whatever. It didn't give a space for multiple wives or multiple husbands or whatever. It was the two shall become one. 
but Abraham and Sarah's cultural influence and to solve this problem, they go with what they know, culturally speaking, and do not consult again the face of God on this matter. They don't, you don't have it here in Genesis chapter 16, them going to God and saying, God, is this how you want us to solve the problem? This is how we would solve the problem, but is this how you want us to solve the problem? No, they're just like, this is how we can solve the problem. Obviously in different ways, but how many of us have done this same thing, even in this last year where we've had a problem and instead of going to God and saying, God, how do we solve this problem? We go, well, this is how I can solve this problem. And we start trying to solve that problem. Well, let's look at what happens when that, when that does. But I, I want to do say one more word here about this situation, about this proposal that Sarah gives to Abraham. See, just like in the garden when Adam took the fruit that Eve had given him, See, Abraham, Adam had a responsibility there because, you know, Adam is the one God had talked to, talked to and said, hey, don't, don't do this, do that. And in this case here, it was, you know, God had made promises to Abraham. And it was Abraham's responsibility to go and consult God and say, what am I supposed to do here right on? But what does he want to do? He wants to please his wife. He wants to solve the problem, and he also wants to make his wife happy. Wives, you have incredible power. Whether you acknowledge it or not, the reality is most wives can get their husbands, husband to do just about anything they want. There is a power to be able to ma- manipulate and, and to get what you want. So be careful that you're seeking God and God's will and you're not just looking to manipulate your husband for your short-term happiness. Now, in this situation, let's also be real here about culture, about the sinful human flesh, about the propensity of men, I don't think it was too hard for Sarah to convince Abraham to go and sleep with a younger woman. I don't think that was a hard sell. Knowing human nature, that was probably not a difficult sell. Men, women, We have to understand that our hearts, that our flesh, what is the what is the natural bent? The natural bent is not towards God and to do things God's way. The heart is deceitful above all. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, you see, we have the Spirit of God. We've been we have been made a new creation. We have great potential to live in a way that pleases God and to live a holy life. 
But we have to be operating in the spirit as the scripture instructs us to walk in the spirit so that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, there's a war still within us. How do we know that? We know that because when we wake up in the morning, if we are not very intentional to orient our hearts towards God and his ways, that we are going to be prone in our attitudes, in our words, and in our actions to do contrary to what we know is right. You see, our own lives bear witness to this truth. That if we do not walk in the spirit, we will just do what our flesh wants to do. My life and your life are testimonies to this. Now let's read what happens here. Verse four. So Abraham went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Okay, so what do we have here in verse four? It's a short verse, but a lot happens. Abraham goes into Hagar and the plan works perfectly. She is pregnant. The plan works perfectly, just like it was designed. They're like, hey, we we did exactly what we wanted to do. We got the exact outcome what we got. But, oops, we didn't expect this. See, now Hagar looks down on Sarah, despises her. And operates from a position of superiority. Because why? Now, she may be carrying the air. They hadn't anticipated that, had they? You see, this is the thing. You know, when we go on our own ways, we don't see everything God sees. And we don't anticipate all where it goes wrong, because in our ways, it, we get, we do it, we get what we wanted, and it's perfect, right? Nope. You see, you can get exa- your flesh can get exactly what your flesh wants, and you know what you'll be miserable. If your flesh gets exactly what your flesh wants, you'll have moments of happiness. But long-term misery. That's exactly what you get when you get what your flesh wants. Moments of happiness, but long-term misery. So now we got a problem. How are we going to solve this problem? So then Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when 
she saw that she had conceived, I became despised. In her eyes, the Lord judged between you and me. So now, she's mad at Abraham. Because he did exactly what she wanted him to do. We shouldn't find that shocking. Because it didn't go, it didn't turn out exactly how she wanted it to turn out. And so now she's really angry. And she's going to blame him. Well, and you know what? She's right to blame him. Because he was ultimately responsible to say, yeah, I'll give you what you want. I'll go, I'll follow what your plan. Let's do that. It is Abraham's responsibility. But once again, he's going to take, as men often do, as we, myself included, often do, we have a propensity to take the easy way out. And so what does he do? So Abraham said to Sarah, verse 6, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she, that's Hagar, fled from her presence. So you see, Abraham doesn't come in and go, okay, we got a sticky, difficult situation. I need to work hard. I need to make peace and find a way that this can be the best it can be in a difficult situation. And I need to see, you know, God, what do you want here? Now that I've messed it up, how do you want me to fix it? Nope, he doesn't do that. He just goes, okay, I hear you. Wants her to be happy again. Just do what you want with Hagar. And so Sarah treats her harshly. And Hagar flees. And now God is going to step in. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. So it makes sense, right? What is she doing? She's fleeing. Where is she going? Well, we already heard earlier. We learned earlier. She's from, from Egypt. Where is, she, where is she going to? You know, she's going to make her way back home, right? That's her plan. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So we see God's grace and compassion. God meets Hagar where she is. 
And though Abraham and Sarah had stepped out of the will of God, God does not hold this against Hagar. She is still a responsible party, but she is by far the least responsible party in terms of the power that is at play. God meets her where she, where she is, addresses her need, and promises to bless her and to bless her son. It's pretty awesome. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but let's continue on. In verse 13, it says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, El Roy, you are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. That means well of the living one who sees me. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, what's interesting is, you know, God had told Hagar, this is going to be his name. And we don't know whether she went and told, you know, Abraham, this is what, you know, this is what the angel of the Lord said. Um, or God had just put it on, you know, Abram's heart to name Ishmael that. And then that confirms, you know, the promise that was made. But um, imagine now Abram. Abraham, every time he hears the name Ishmael, every time he calls Ishmael, that name means God hears. So he has to have a, you know, it's always a constant reminder that God listened to Hagar and God would have listened to him if he had, if he had asked. God heard Hagar's distress. There's some powerful lessons for us to learn from this passage. We learn a few things from Abraham and, and Sarah. One is, is patience. The need to be patient. You see, this is the problem for them is they had run out of patience. And, and so they felt the need to take things into their own hands and to fulfill the promise. See, we need to have patience in many ways in our, in our lives. One, as followers of Jesus, we need to have patience that, you know, the return of, of, of Jesus is going to happen. But we have to be patient until it happens. And it, we may have to be patient our whole lives, and it doesn't happen in our lifetime. Or it could happen in our lifetime, but we need to be patient. We're promised that will forever be in his kingdom. We're, we're, we're instructed to seek first the kingdom of God. So we have to be patient and enduring and seeking to build the kingdom of God, or we're going in our own flesh to operate out of that and to try to build our own kingdoms. Patience is incredibly important. And so we need to trust God that God will keep his 
promises and to operate within the will of God, to learn to listen, to know, to discern, and to operate in the will of God and to not deviate from that. Have you ever tried to solve the same sort of problem again and again your own way, only to realize, hey, I'm just trying to solve that in my flesh? And I came to the Lord Jesus in faith, so maybe I should operate in faith to solve that problem. And not in my flesh. Patience is important. And sometimes we... We have to keep learning the same lesson until we actually learn it. Okay. I'll give you a, a very simple it's, illustration of this. So it's, um, you know, basketball season has started. Um, you know, and you all know the Wood family, our friends that from here and, um, that live in Idaho now. And their, their daughter Porter was playing her middle school championship basketball game on Friday night that we, through technology, got to got to watch and there was a side note her team won so that's great hadn't lost in two years so that's pretty impressive but in the game it was interesting to watch this one player on the other team she'd get the ball um you know not too far away from the basket but on on the right hand side of the court she'd get the ball and there's a lot of different things she could do. She was open. She could shoot. She could dribble and get closer to the basket. There was a lot of things that she could do. But then as soon as a defender would come and get close to her, she would throw the ball, try to throw the ball to the other side of the court. It would get intercepted, and Porter's team would have an opportunity for a layup. It happened multiple times. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. And at some point, you know, you're sitting there and like, it didn't happen after halftime because I'm sure the coach sat down and said, hey, you know that thing you keep trying to do? We need you to stop trying to do that because that thing you keep trying to do, we're going to lose this game if you keep doing that. And that's just a little, you know, it's a middle school girls basketball game. The stakes are pretty low, right? But in, in our lives... How many times do we keep trying to do the same thing with the same outcome that's according to the way of our flesh and not according to the will of God? Something to consider. If there's anything in your life like that, we need to learn to stop and trust God. The scripture says the just will live by faith. Now, from Hagar, we learn some things. We learn that God sees. We learn that God hears. And we learn that God provides. And again, we see God's amazing grace and compassion. And God makes certain promises. To her. So God sees, God hears, God provides, and God promises. It's pretty awesome what we learned from Hagar and her life in this situation. And her and Ishmael will come back into the scene again um, in a few chapters.
There's another thing here that we potentially see, you know, with the angel of the Lord and who is this angel, you know, of the Lord that she refers to as El Roy, you are the God who sees. So, and then she says, for she said, have I also seen him who sees me? You know, has Hagar seen God? Um, and, and one, it also could be, have I seen the back of him who sees me? So there's this word that we use, um, you know, it's a term of theology, it's a more technical term, but the term term is theophany. It's your 25 cent word, you know, for the day. Um, I guess with inflation, it's, it's at least a few dollars now from when that phrase came around. But um, theophany is an appearance of Christ, appearance of God, or appearance of Christ specifically, a Christophany would be appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And so we have several of these things and, um, you know, you have to have um, a couple of different um, things at play um, for it to be the case. One is um, you, you need, um, it, so with the angel of the Lord, you need Yahweh on, on the scene and also um, some, some distinction there. And you have the person at play believe, believing or understanding that they have seen or been, have encountered, you know, the true and living God. They've, or they've encountered, um, you know, this, this physical manifestation. And so um, it, it appears we could have that in this case. And again, it's amazing when God reveals himself and ultimately when we see that God sees, God hears, God provides and God promises, we're reminded in this season as, as you know, the time of season, whether it's the right time or the wrong time of season of the year, to be celebrating the birth of Christ. This is the time that we put more emphasis on it. Obviously, we can celebrate that Christ came at any day of the year. You can celebrate that uh, wonderful truth that God put on human flesh, the Son of God, you know, came, born of a virgin, to be our human representative while yet fully divine. And to go to the cross on our behalf. To be risen from the dead. And ultimately we see in that, that God has seen us. That God has heard us. That God has provided salvation for us. And that God has made promises to us. And that God keeps his promises. You see, the, the whole point of, the, of what we call the Old Testament scriptures is that it prepares for the coming of, of our Redeemer, of our Savior. 
And so, you know, God sees, God hears, God provides, and God promises for us. And all of our promises are are wrapped up, the eternal promises that we are banking on are wrapped up in the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate gift that has been given to us this season. And as it is gift-giving season, you know, it's wonderful to give gifts and, you know, we enjoy to give gifts and we receive gifts. But that needs to be like just a small, a small thing compared to us relishing in the fact that God has given us the ultimate gift in his son Jesus, because through him we have salvation and we have an eternal hope. So I pray that during this, the rest of this month that our hearts are oriented more and more towards Jesus and that he is the ultimate gift that we have received and he is the ultimate gift that we get to share with this world. Let's be reminded, we have an opportunity, you know, even in this season, we have an opportunity as we are blessed to be a blessing to others and to give to others. We have an, we have opportunities to, to be a blessing, to give to the, to the school, you know, in Tanzania, to give to the mission work in Mexico, to give to other things that the Lord impresses upon our hearts. We have that great opportunity and privilege to give and to invest in things that are bigger than we are. That's awesome. But let us always remember that the biggest gift that we have received and the biggest gift that we have to share. So here's a challenge for myself and for each one of us as we want to finish 2020 strong. And in this season, when people, you know, it's all around us, it is coming to Christmas, that we would seek to give people the gift of Jesus himself. What better gift could you give to somebody? Okay, so for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, our greatest gift to them is to give them Jesus himself. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the greatest gifts that we can give to one another are to encourage one another in that gift that we've been given to embrace that gift more and more fully. You know, there's a strange thing that we often do with gifts. Did you ever want something, you know, you were a kid and you wanted something really bad and you finally got it, you know, it was Christmas morning and you went down under the tree and it was there and you unwrapped it and you were so excited and you got it. And then, you know, maybe a few weeks or a few months, maybe even took a few years, but it didn't get played with anymore. (laughs) You didn't spend time with that anymore. It was, it was for a short season and it was done. May we never treat the gift of Jesus that way. 
he, that, that gift is precious and is available. Jesus is available for our fellowship and, and for our joy at all times. May God direct our hearts this morning more into the love of God, the love of Jesus. We will be full of joy as we take the bread and the cup that we celebrate, that God hears, that God sees, that God provides, and that God promises that this morning we would take that bread and cup with joy. And, and we would lay the things that hinder us and hinder our fellowship with him at his feet, that we would surrender, that we would submit ourselves under the hand of God. I'll finish with that as Hagar was told to go and submit herself to Sarah. That wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do. She had to be, you know, God humbled and, and you know and corrected her as as she had wrong was done to her but she had also first done wrong right so God corrected her in her heart but it wasn't an easy thing to go back and submit to this other person but folks you know the first thing we have to do is submit to God and so let's lay down as we take the bread and cup this morning, lay down the things that hinder us from greater fellowship with our Savior and with our King, who is our ultimate gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your word and that it is truth. And Lord, while... It's so often difficult for us to learn these lessons. Help us to live by faith and to live in patience and to live and love with you, dear God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for every good thing that comes out of our lives. Help us, we pray, in your name, Jesus. Mm-hmm.